You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. This is awesome. If uh, if you think I over I'm over like warmed up uh, or too dressed, I did shed a sweatshirt off a minute ago. Uh, but like 115 to 120 is my my perfect temp. I like desert temp is amazing. So I'm still frigidly cold, um, and that's just the way it goes. Well, I'm excited just to be able to wrap up the last chapter of Luke. And I say it that way because we're not done with our series in Luke. We actually have four more weeks that uh, works. We're just looking forward to seeing what God will continue to bring out of this word. Uh, and then I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to give you a little bit of glimpse of where we're going to go after that. But I'm excited just to see what, what God can continue to do through today's passage uh, and what he's, um, what he's been doing through this whole book. About a year ago, we went down to Pella um, just after the Tulip Festival, which back in, in pandemic world, it was a little bit less chaotic in the time. And we got there and we were kind of wandering around a little bit in the open streets and realizing things I don't know. I'm not from Iowa. I'm not an Iowan. Uh, and still getting to know this whole Dutch thing and tulips and let alone what a tulip is and that they have as many colors as they do and all these things I can learn from just talking with the people down there. But they plant 300 plus thousand tulip bulbs every year in Pella, Iowa for this tulip festival, which is crazy to think about. That's a lot of golf balls being hidden in the ground throughout that city. But then they dig them all up one by one. Uh, they don't till them. They, they dig them up and they pull them out and then they sell them. And then they, next year they get new bulbs and they replant new 300 plus thousand tulips throughout town. It's pretty impressive, and especially for the volunteers that come in and do that. But the beauty of that is that we get to benefit because you can go down and buy the bulbs because they're still good. Uh, they still have good roots. They still have a good nutrient system to them. You can buy the bulbs and bring them home and plant them in, in your dirt. And if, like probably like us, they'll be there for the rest of known time because we're not going to dig them up the next year, right? So... We did that last year. We got some bulbs and we plant them around this tree we have in our backyard. And I love it that you can take this, this thing, this little, looks like an egg or even honestly to me, a little bit like a radish. You can dig a little hole in the ground and cover it up and pat it clean and, and just leave it there. There's not a whole lot more you have to do to that. And then all of a sudden the rains come, the sun comes out, the weather warms up and out of the ground sprouts this green leaf. And that leaf continues to grow and gets taller and taller out of that ground. And out of that green leaf comes a flower. And that flower begins to open up. And the beauty of what that flower now then feeds, the whole bee thing, I won't get into that and be nerdy. Uh, ask Ryan Tao about that kind of stuff. I'm sure he knows all the details. Um, which, by the way, last week he texted me shortly after I shared about a, what a petabyte is and told me details. So if you want to know that from last week's sermon, feel free to connect with Ryan afterwards. Um, that'd be awesome. But there's this beauty that comes out of this. Now I share all of this in that, not only because we're outside, it's a beautiful day, but that God has given us this one example of something that is, can be planted and rooted in the earth. And that over time with the right uh, influence, with the right ingredients, it will sprout. It'll open up to the sun and to the world around it. 
and created an amazing amount of beauty. I really believe that's what he can do right here, right now in this, in this service, in this moment, as we dive into his word. Last week, I talked about how these two that, that were on their way back from Jerusalem, traveling together to their hometown, and that, that Jesus met them. And he spoke the word, the truth, the prophets to them. And their eyes were opened up to who he was and their lives were changed. We're going to continue with that uh, later on in the last part of chapter 24 of Luke today. But there's a beautiful thing that, that we see in that passage. We're going to see it again today. That when Jesus brings out the word, when he brings out what's already been rooted in you, for them it was the words of the prophets that they had known for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as they read and they knew those words, that life came out of that. They began to see something new. And that through that growth in them, through their eyes opening up, God started to do incredible things through them that we'll see in coming months. And I believe each and every one of you are here because God planted something in you. He planted something in you that he wants to sprout out of you today something incredible and something beautiful. And honestly, what may be rooted in you, you don't even realize is there. And you may not even feel like that's not going to turn into anything. It was just an ugly, like earthy, rooty golf ball looking thing. There's no value to it. There's a great value. You're here for that purpose. Maybe you walked into this lawn, you had no idea where you're showing up. Maybe you were invited by a friend. Maybe you just looked up Westwind Church online, or maybe you think you're at Hilltop Church or Hope Waukee and you're just confused. It doesn't matter. They're literally right there. It's awesome. It doesn't matter how you got here, but I really believe that God's want to do something in your life today, and he wants to bring the word in and through you. So I say that, and let's open up to Luke chapter 24. If you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, flip open to there. There's my super long tassel that people make fun of me about. And let me give you some background. Again, if you, you weren't here last week or you, you weren't able to track uh, and watch online following the service, here's what's been going on. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And he started his, what I like to call his tour of visiting people. Now, keep in mind what that must have felt like. Here's a dead guy who disappeared from his grave, and now he's just showing up with you. Not walking in the door, not knocking, but just showing up with you. And he started with a few of his key followers, a couple of his disciples, his, his core disciples, his 12. And then he met these two on the road, which is where we were last week in the middle of chapter 24. And at the end of that experience with them, when he broke bread and, and, and opened their eyes to who he was, he disappeared once again. And they go, what just happened? They get up out of their home. They truck it back to Jerusalem to find the disciples, gather together, huddling down, going, what do we make of what has been going on over this last weekend? Over these last few days, this guy that we've followed and we've given our lives to over the last three years, we've seen him do incredible things, was crucified on the cross by our leaders, by the ones that we're supposed to follow. And then he was put in this grave and then we went to visit the grave and the grave was empty and there was angels and there's stuff and we don't fully grasp what is happening right now. And then these two come knocking on the door. You have no idea what we just experienced. Let us tell you about that. And right as we pick up in verse 36, chapter 24, we're going to begin to see that they're already talking through all of these experiences, this stuff that just does not seem like it's possible. So let's pick it up there. And I'm going to break down these, these last verses into three sections. 
and, and walk us through what each section is or what's happening in each section that I really believe Jesus is pointing out. So we're going to read from verse 36 through verse 43, and then we're going to pause. And I really believe in this first section that Jesus is establishing his presence and, or what I like to say, his realness. Now, I know that's not a word for you grammatical people out there, but I'm going to use it anyway. His realness, that he's physically present with his followers. And he starts, the, Luke starts telling the story like this in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, the two came back from Emmaus. They're sharing what's going on. The disciples are trying to figure it out. They're having these conversations. Jesus himself stood among them. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't say, hey guys, I'm here. He didn't send them a text. I'm gonna get it to get there in a couple minutes. You know, there wasn't fanfare and trumpets or anything. He was just all of a sudden there. Imagine that, you're in your kitchen. You're thinking about some God things. You're like, man, God, what do you mean by this? And you're, you're cooking up some ramen or something. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is physically standing in the midst of you. Like right next to you, going, yeah, I wouldn't put that in the ramen. That's not good stuff. You know, kind of speaking into a little bit of life there. But that is what it was, the moment was like. All of a sudden, Jesus was there in their room with them. And he said to them, peace to you. Now, I love that. Jesus already understands kind of what they're going through. He hasn't been in that room yet. He just showed up and he already gets that they're kind of confused. They're, they're a little bit bewildered by, by what's going on. They don't know what to make of it. And he brings exactly who he is to the situation and environment that in, in their chaos, in their uncertainty, in their world, he just says, peace to you. That in the craziest moment, I can only imagine that it was of their life. Jesus knew exactly what they needed, peace to you. Now I love, and I'm not gonna get into this, but there's a little bit of this that through his death and through his resurrection, we have peace through salvation. And it makes me wonder a little bit, is Jesus also giving that understanding that you have peace because I'm fulfilling the words of the prophets, God's plan and his promise. There's peace in that truth. Starting in verse 37, he goes, but they were startled, no kidding, and frightened, uh-huh, and thought that they saw a spirit, meaning they, that they saw, they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> like they're, they're all kind of freaking out a little bit. And he's like, I'm kind of hungry. You got something to eat? He kind of breaks that, but there's a purpose to him breaking that tension in the room. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. All in these verses, we see Jesus doing something really powerful. He's establishing his realness, that he's not a ghost, that he's not something fictitious that they thought they were following for a few years. They weren't dreaming. He didn't, they just didn't wake up that morning and say, was the last three years a dream? Did I just dream all of this? Is this really happening? He established that that he is real. And he did that in a few ways. Some of these disciples were at the crucifixion site, if not all of them. They watched him being nailed to the cross in his hands and his feet. They watched him being pierced into the side. 
They watched him pulled down from the cross and carried to the grave. They watched the, the grave being sealed and shut and closed. And here he is saying, I am flesh. I am here. I am real. I'm not this thing called a spirit. I'm not just playing a joke on you. I'm not a 3D hologram. I'm not just a good idea. I'm not just a great thought. I'm not just a hopeful, a whim of something that you're thinking up in your mind and heart that I just need to feel good. I just need to have a positive attitude about life. He's like, I am real. I am here. Look at the holes in my hands and in my feet, in my side. See my flesh. I am not a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I am real. And they disbelieved for joy. And, and in some translations, it, it talks about how their, their joy really kept them from faith. They couldn't believe what was happening around them. It seemed too good to be true. How many of you guys have ever felt something was too good to be true? It happens quite a bit. And we're like, ah, that's, that's not even possible. It's too good to be true. And so therefore, I'm just not even gonna choose to believe it. I'm just gonna ignore it. I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm just gonna continue to have like this positive, hopeful, wishful thinking. They disbelieved for joy, but yet they still had this, this joy in them that, that was kind of building up in them. Even last week, this joy that's coming up, in, but there's still this idea of faith or belief. Like we cannot believe that this is happening. What's going on? And I wonder if we stop for a moment and for us just to say, hey, let's put ourselves in these disciples' shoes or sandals, as that may be. Let's put ourselves right in their position. So do me a favor, close your eyes real quick and imagine that room. Just a, a smaller room, got 12, 15, maybe a few more in there. And you're standing amidst them. And you imagine the chatter, the, the conversation about all that's been going on for the last few days. Jesus died, he rose again. We've, we've seen angels, the tomb is empty. These two come back. We saw Jesus, he broke the bread. And you're part of the conversation. Put yourself in the middle of the conversation. Smell the space. Feel the room. Jesus shows up. Imagine what they must have been going through in that, that moment. And as we go through these last few sections, keep yourself in that space. You all can open your eyes, but keep yourself in that space. Feel and hear and know what they're experiencing. They disbelieved for joy. Sometimes they're, they're, our lives get so good, I think, that we don't believe we need God. And I wonder if a little bit of, of what's going on in their world, there's just a slight part of that. That's not really what's happening, but there's a slight part of it. Like, I've got this joy. I'm kind of good. It's, it's kind of too good to be true, but man, it's, it's kind of keeping me in a good place. So I'm fine with that. I feel good enough. But Jesus wanted to take them farther than just feeling good enough. He wanted to open their eyes through the promises of God and his plan for them. And he wasn't done there. So he establishes his presence, he establishes his realness. And then he goes on starting in verse 44 and he establishes his mission and purpose. He begins to move his disciples from disbelief, even though there's joy going on and saying, I've got this huge plan. I'm a part of a process that has been going on for hundreds of years and I want you to be there with me too. And he writes, uh, Luke writes it in this way, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written 
about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name in all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed by the Holy Spirit and power filled with the Holy Spirit on high. So what's really cool about this is that Jesus begins to speak promise to them, and he's going back to what's already rooted in them from the words of the prophets, from Moses, from the psalmists, saying this is what needed to happen. This was God's plan for redemption, to reconcile you, to bring you into a right relationship with God, to take sin and crush it, to take death and throw it away so that you, every one of us here, can have a relationship with him, to live with him in eternity. That's the gospel. And so Jesus is unfolding that for them. And as they hear the gospel, as they hear these truths, as they're reminded of what's already rooted in their ground, it begins to sprout. Their eyes are open to truth. Their eyes are open to hope. Their eyes are open up to the realness, the presence of Jesus, that he's not just a good idea. He's not just something that is like, feels like a good thing. He tells us some good things in this book and it's like a really nice story. And oh yeah, it tells us to love people. We should love people. We should think of everybody. We should touch the untouched. Yeah, that's really good stuff to do. So yeah, it's just a good idea. So let's just run after that good idea until something hard happens and the good idea fades into the presence or the, into the past and we kind of start moving away with the heart and we get away from all the good stuff. No, Jesus is real. What he's promised is real and he's establishing with that realness, with what that promise says that is a part of this whole book from the very, very beginning to the all the way into the end and then what is to come, something that is missional and purposeful that he wants us as his followers to step into. And so imagine that in that room, here's these, these folks listening to these words And in the moment that disbelief for joy, that kind of, I don't really fully grasp what's happening around me. It's just, it's crazy. It feels too good to be true. Their eyes begin to open up to the truth, to the word, to the scriptures, and they begin to understand something has changed. In the presence of Jesus, on the foundation of mission and purpose of the gospel, something begins to change. Now, there's a pivot in the, world, in the world history right here in these verses that Luke is putting for us that we have to pay attention to. This was the beginning of a transformation on this earth. A world change started right here in these words as they began to open their eyes up. And Jesus gives them this mission that this truth, this gospel, this forgiveness of sins, the conquering of death, the hope of eternal life needs to be proclaimed. That means you need to get up and say something about it. You need to move to whomever you are, move to where everyone's around you and speak this life, this hope, this truth into their lives too. You need to do that through loving them, through touching the untouchable, through going someplace you never thought you would go before. But I love it, he says, but start right here at your home. Start right here at the foundation. Take this truth and and bring it to a place that, that needs it so badly. Start at the place right where you are. Proclaim it. 
You have to go out of this place. You have to move forward. You can't just sit in a holy huddle of church once a week or maybe twice a week in a life group. You've got to get out of those spaces and go forward. Those spaces aren't bad. We need them. But you've got to get out of those spaces. You have to leave the room that you're listening to Jesus speak into and go forth and proclaim. That means open up your mouth and shout it out. Make much of the name of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, a week ago, I guess, Tara and I were sitting in a stoplight and uh, we are just talking and, and joking and, and she said something about, I was joking with her about how I don't really need to say things about our lives because she does a really good job at that. And so most people know things before I have a chance to share them because Tara's just a good talker. If you know my wife, you know she's a good talker. She loves to talk about the good things in life and, and what's going on with our family and to talk about our kids and our girls and everything else. It's awesome. And I, I joke that like, I just, I don't usually have that opportunity to beat her to the punch. So in that moment, we were talking about something that was going on in our lives. And I just thought, well, this will be funny. I rolled down my car window and I start shouting out, we're at the corner right by Hy-Vee of Hickman and Alice's Road. And I start shouting out my window, what's happening in the ballback life. And she just loses it laughing. And because that's just not Jason. If you know me, I don't shout out my car window. Um, I barely, like I do the, the one finger wave because that's just enough. Right, that's what I love about Iowa. There's that one, maybe two, maybe three finger wave, and you're good, and you just move on. And, and it was in that moment, but that's what it's like. You have to go beyond yourself, get that window down, and shout out what God is doing in your life. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you realized that the transformation that Christ has done in your life, that thing that's rooted in you, wants to blossom and grow, wants to bring out so much beauty into this world that'll change everything? Not just for you, but for the people around you, for this city and for this world. And that he promises that we don't have to do it alone. He's given us the spirit. He's, he's given us the, the presence of God to dwell in us when we have a relationship with Jesus that transforms everything. He gives us mission and purpose. And then as we move from verse 49 through 50, about 40 days happen between this, these two moments. In my Bible, it breaks it down and gives it a new little header and there's a little bit of space. In that space, there's 40 days happening where he is visiting other disciples, giving them the same mission and purpose, reminding them of why he came to this earth, that he is real, that there is mission and purpose to the process. And then they gather again. And, he, and Luke writes it in this way, in verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now, I, I emphasize the word parted and carried because I, I want to give you an understanding of what those words mean because it's awesome. Um, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Jesus takes them outside of the city. He blesses them. He raises his hands over them. He gives us an incredible blessing of truth over the lives and, and he departs from them. He is, he's moved away from them. He's carried up into heaven. Can you imagine that scene? What that must have been like. You've seen Jesus do some pretty crazy things. He did just rise from the dead and that was pretty awesome, but he is floating into the sky. That's incredible. 
But here's these things, this word parted and this word carried, maybe you're in a different translation. I'm in the ESV. For the most part, those words are the same in almost every translation. He parted and carried. Those two words, very different in our English language. They're the exact same word in the Greek. You know what they mean? To take his place in their rooting or to keep intact or to establish In Jesus' parting or being carried away, he was establishing something. Let's call it family. Or better yet, and here's the teaser of what's to come, let's call it the church. In Jesus' parting and his being carried away, he establishes the body of Christ, the church. He brings it and makes it intact. How awesome is that? We think, ah, Jesus has left us. He's not here any longer. But in that moment, in that act, there's truth and there's hope and there's light because he's established community and truth and his church to not only be enriched by, to be strengthened by, but to be used through to reach the world for the gospel, to go into Jerusalem and all day. If you look into Matthew 28, Matthew writes it in a much more commissional way that go into all the earth, making much of the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the end of the book of Luke is not an end. It's just, it's, there's an intermission The book of Luke is only part one of Luke's story. In a month, we're going to start part two in the book of Acts. And what we see, and here's a little teaser for the book of Acts, is that what he has established, his realness, his his fellowship, that he's establishing fellowship in the church as he's being carried away and leaving us the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what we see happen in, in Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. He establishes a church. It all starts to come together and everything starts to form. And you are sitting here in this lawn because of this moment right here when Jesus was carried away. Take that into account right now. Think about that. The only reason that you're sitting right here on this grass lawn is because Jesus in this moment was parted and carried away. He established this place for us to experience, to know him, to make much of his name, to bring his name glory, but to take it all out into the world. Isn't that cool? 2,000 some years ago, your mission and your purpose is already established for you to be sitting in this lawn. That little bulb was rooted in you and it's starting to grow. There's four things I want to encourage you with and I want to invite the band to come up. And they're going to sing this song called The Blessing. And I really believe it is truth that this is what God speaks over his church. And he brings this power to us. Keep yourself in the shoes and the sandals of those disciples. Because this mission, this purpose, the presence, the realness of Jesus, the fellowship of the church is for you just as much as it was for them. It began then, but they've transcended. They moved it through all time in history to right here in this lawn for us. And he sets up one thing, the word. He sets the word up to be our guiding light, to be the strength that is. He opens up the truth and his presence through his word. It's why this is so important. We just don't say this because we're pastors and this is what they told us in seminary to talk about. His truth and his word will open your eyes to understand who he is and his realness. So the word hopes, but worship, it opens up our purpose, our place to respond to him. 
Worship brings you to an experience to say, God, you are so big and so good. I cannot help but give you all of my breath, to give you all of my response, to open up my arms and, and however way you are, to turn myself over to your presence and to understand that my whole point in my humanity is to respond to your goodness and your glory. And then he leads us to open up fellowship to us, that our lives are experiencing him through relationship with one another. We experience Jesus' presence because of one another. We can have those moments with Jesus that are intimate and just alone, but he's given us more than that. Look to the person on your left. Seriously, look to the person on your left. Now look to the person on your right. Those people are here for a purpose. If there's not someone on your left or your right, super sorry. But there's someone here that's for your purpose to know and experience Jesus. And then he opens up the door, and I love this one. It's not just having fellowship and feeling like we're not alone. It's not just having truth and confidence in the word of God. It's, it's not just being able to come together and, and worship and, and give of our voices over to him. But he's sending us because he wants us to experience miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the gospel. He wants you to experience the miracle of transformed life. That's what we get to do as a church to be rooted in word, to respond in worship, to be grounded in fellowship, to be sent out to see miracles happen. That's who we are as a church. That's what we see coming up in the book of Acts. We see that just explode when they live in that moment, when they live in those truths. But Peter's first, and I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm so sorry, but Peter's first sermon was exactly what Jesus gave to Peter. He just said, this isn't just for me. And so he stood up and he gives that message back. And in that moment, he saw miracles happen. Thousands of people respond to the goodness, the truth of the gospel. And that's who we are, church. We can't deny that. We can't. Jesus wants to show you that he's real. He wants to give you fellowship. He wants to give you hope and he wants to give you life, but he wants to use you to see the miracles of the gospel transform people's lives. That's what we get to do as a church. And I love that we get to be out here all summer and blast sound into our community. We're amplifying the goodness of God to this city and we get to do it together. Jesus took them out to that space, that lawn. And I imagine it like this, that he raised his hands over his disciples and he blessed them. And Jesus wants to bless you this morning. So take a quick moment, close your eyes real quick again. And imagine that hillside right around Bethany. Imagine the savior of the world, the goodness of God, God himself reaching his hands out over you and blessing you with truth, with promise, with hope, and with a future. And receive the blessing. Receive the blessing.